0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: Welcome to Season 18, Week 8 of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen, we're powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Uh, we're going to first talk about the Florida Panthers' prospects with their VP of Personnel and Development, Gregory Campbell. Gregory, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So, I want to get your thoughts initially on some prospects that are in your American league franchise, uh, because they're, you know, they're the next in line to potentially play in the NHL. And there's a lot of focus and a lot of work done with those players to help take them to that next level. And there's been challenges specifically within that age group because they lost that time of games played development because of COVID. And this has never happened in hockey before. Yes, we've had work stoppages at the NHL level, but the American League continued to play. So that didn't affect. So this is the first time in the history of the NHL in the modern era where this will be an interesting case study of how this potentially affected the development of prospects, how their time was utilized, and then how much that game played impact. And we don't know because we're still in the middle of that development. But I think, you know, five years from now, get a chance to go back and take a look at that. I think that's going to be really interesting to see um, what strategies were implemented at that time. And then what could have been done to help, you know, make that transition for those players a little bit easier. So I want to ask you about Alexi Hepo niemi and thoughts on his continued development. But based on that question is how much of an impact was COVID upon players like him who were, you know, that first in line to make, you know, that second, that was the second year of his, you know, in the American League that disrupted his development.
2: Right. Well, I think it's important to note that um, this all kind of happened at the same time, meaning, you know, Bill Zito took over as general manager of the Florida Panthers uh, right when we were kind of at the height of of the, the transition and, and COVID and whatnot. So um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, um, you know, whenever you have, uh, organizational changes, um, there's, there's always, um, you know, you, you got to introduce, um, uh, you know, different, uh, kind of agendas and, and, um, and opportunities to, to, to players that have been there before you. Um, and, you know, overall there's, there's, there, there needed to be a change and there was a change. So. I think um, that's that obviously has an effect on players, specifically draft picks. So, you know, he wasn't one of our draft picks, and, and that that that's the case in, in a lot of situations. And 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 we have to, as a staff, get to know these players. So, in in Alexei's uh, case, he 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 falls into that category where um, he had been with the organization, um, he had played in Springfield, um, and you know we. There's there's just so much going on moving to an orga- organization and um, you know Billy has to delegate different roles to different people and and and, and you know who's who's an asset and, and who's valuable to our organization going forward. Obviously, HEPA was was very valuable to us um, and we recognize that. But um, with the changes made within the organization. Uh, you know, we may be opinionated, but we think that some of the things that we, we could do differently could maybe further him along in his career. So um, I also think, you know, with with ha- having said that with kind of a perfect storm with the change, the changing of the garden in Florida and and the COVID situation, the American Hockey League, um, if you go back to a couple of years ago, as it, you know, it, it was playing in a sense, but it was a completely different league. Um, the schedule wasn't, uh, a normal schedule. Um, you know, you had the taxi squad, so it was a little bit watered down in my opinion. Um, so to, to evaluate players who you don't really know that well in a, in a league that's really not as good as it usually is, is, is pretty difficult. Um, so, um, we identified him and, and what's interesting about, uh, Alexi was that, um, he was playing in Europe at the time and, um, and we didn't know if he was going to come and leave his club team there and, and come over for training camp, and he ended up coming over. And uh, the coaching staff at the time, Joel, uh, they, they they were familiar with him. Um, and um, you know, sometimes when you know players have their first training camps, they're judged on that. Um, but it was interesting because the way he talked about Alexi was was very high. You know, he spoke very highly of him when he came in for his second camp, which was the camp in January of that year before we started off the, the shortened season. So um, he had an excellent camp. You know, he had been playing playing uh, in Europe and he'd been doing well. And like I said, there was a question mark whether he'd actually even come to camp or we, you know, whether it was just smarter to leave him over there and continue his development. But he ended up coming over and, and, and he opened a lot of eyes, including ours, who, who weren't very familiar with him. Uh, so the people within, you know, already knew him, but, but we did not. Um, and he was, uh, you know, he was, he was right there to make the team and, and, and stick. And, uh, and that's to his credit, because he, I think going back, he felt comfortable. Um, he could play his game and he was a lot, he was a lot different player and more confident when he came over the second time. So um, that was kind of the, the, the first uh, viewing for us as a new staff of him. And he really, he really made it a positive one. Um, and he's, you know, I guess you would say an undersized player that plays um, completely bigger than he is and his work ethic, his heart, uh, his determination is what, what stuck out out to us uh, in terms of going forward. He was, he was one of our first recalls and, um, and, uh, and from there on he's been a guy that's been, a, a valuable option for us uh, in Florida.
3: When you when you talk about how he plays bigger than his size, is, is that been a big part of his development, Gregory, in terms of trying to develop those ancillary hard skills where he can, you know, obtain inside positioning at a higher rate, uh, be able to use his smaller stature and learn how to actually leverage that to his, advantages, his advantage against larger defensemen? Or is that kind of the direction you're, you're trying to head with him in terms of his development structure?
2: Yeah, I, I think that, there's there's smaller players obviously, and I think some of them, as they develop from a young age, I think some of them are are small and and then some of them are small but they they work with it and they know how to use their body and they know how to pos- position themselves uh, to to escape pressure to play against bigger players heavier players he's not a heavy guy and let me tell you it's been it's been hard for him he's worked really really hard to 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 put on weight and to put on muscle and strength but sometimes it just doesn't come naturally for people um but regardless of that like he he's a guy that that goes to the hard areas but he's he's so smart and aware that you know he, he he takes pressure and he takes uh hits and he can spin off them um and and he uses uh, that to his advantage. Um, so going back to my point, when, when you, you know, you question the size, it, it's, it's never been, or, or even the weight, I guess uh, it, it's never weight and strength. They, they kind of go together. It's never really been a, a question of, of, you know, he's too small to play. That's not it. Cause he's just, he's one of those guys. You, you look at a Brad Marchand type guy that they just, you know, from a young age, they've learned to spin off checks and, and protect the puck and, and stay low. Uh, in their lower body and, and they're hard to check. And I, and I would put him, put him uh, in that category, as far as the awareness of, of what his strengths are and and playing into them. I want to ask you about gregary Denisenko
1: and he's another player who's not the biggest in stature, but when I first got a chance to see him play at the junior A challenge, it didn't he was a guy that i thought would be able to figure that out and and showed many times that he could play against bigger players and understood how to use his skills but also his, his body to be able to undermine larger players and frustrate them
2: yeah i mean he he's a guy that similar to to Alexi's situation where um We were coming in with, with some unknowns about him, but, but knowing that he's a a top prospect, uh, great at the, uh, the amateur level, if you will, you know, great in the world juniors. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, a player that we, um, had high expectations for. Um, it's been a little bit unfortunate for, for Denny and his development, um, with injuries, um, and. Um, you know, he fell into the same category where he went to Syracuse, um, where we split that year um, because Charlotte wasn't playing. And, um, you know, that, that was a unique situation, too, because it wasn't our team. Obviously, Tampa's organization, super professional, um, and they were, they were awesome with us and having them as an affiliate. But, but it's different. You don't have the same coach uh, that you're, you're expecting to have. Uh, you have different players. You have two organizations that have to integrate with each other um so so he had to go there in his first year pro and that's that's challenging i mean um you know you you talk about the challenges already for for a young player coming in uh in in their first year pro um not knowing the north american game extremely well and then having all those other things on top of it so um and you know he's he's battled injuries the last two years um the historically with with uh with Denny the last couple of years, um, you know, it, the starts have been a little bit slow and, you know, about seven to nine games in is really when things started to click for him. Um, and that was, that was the case uh, the first year, his first year pro where he became a call up for us. And then unfortunately, um, you know, battled injuries that year and, you know, really couldn't kind of uh, put everything together um, fast forward to last year um, was the same thing. It was a little bit of a slow start for him. Um, and then he he started to find his game 10 games in and he was excellent for us. Um, and then unfortunately took a shot um, off the knee and, and, uh, and that, that ended his, his season. So as frustrating as it was for us, it was even more frustrating for him um he's been nothing but positive he's been he's got really high character he works extremely hard he's a student of the game um and he's fitting very well here in north america and you know again fast forward to this year uh it was the same thing um you know he had a pretty good camp obviously in our situation with florida we're we're flirting uh with uh, uh, some some situations where, you know, we could only carry so many, uh, so many players. So, um, you know, it was, it was tough for him to, uh, although he had a really good camp for him to, to, uh, to really show what he could, he could do, but the expectation was for him to go to Charlotte and have a really good start and then, and then go from there. Well, after watching three games this past weekend, he's, you know, he, this may be the best hockey he's played for us uh, in the organization. And, And um, he's, uh, he's really, you know, with him it's, it's, it's confidence as it is with all players, but it's puck possession with that confidence. And he's a player that uh, he's shifty. Um, He goes into those traffic, high traffic areas. And beginning of the year was, you know, he was trying to make plays in in traffic and it was, you know, the puck was getting poked off his stick, but um, now he's to the point where, you know, the, the cutbacks along the wall, puck protection, He'll take the puck into into traffic, hold on to it, you know, make plays from there. Um, The production, you know, when you look on paper, doesn't look great. But, you know, um, the effectiveness of his game right now is helping us a lot in Charlotte. Well, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but
1: we'll continue to talk about the Florida Panthers prospects right after these important messages. (laughs)
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about the Florida Panthers prospects with Gregory Campbell, their VP of Player Personnel and Development. Greg, you want to get your thoughts on Mackie. You know, and I was it was an interesting discussion during... Uh, that draft when you took him in the first round, because some people, everybody has their own opinions of where people should be drafted. um, And you take that with a grain of salt, but obviously, you know, he, there was something in his, obviously skill sets that he does on the ice, but then his attributes off the ice that gave you guys the, you know, the thoughts that, okay, this is a player we want now. Um, This is, if we have the opportunity, we're going to draft him because we think he has the best chance of playing in the NHL but he brings those characteristics that we want in our organization and thoughts, how he's developed in Michigan. And I think this year is a really great opportunity because there's been players who have graduated on and he gets to take on that much larger role. And I like to see guys take on that high pressure situation. I want to see how they react and I want them to see if they are going to be the man in that circumstance before they move on to the
2: next level. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point. Um, you know I, I guess he was a little bit overshadowed or a lot overshadowed last year with the with the powerhouse that they had um having said that with the discussions uh, with this with with the coaching staff last season and this season um you know they had nothing but positive sa- things to say about Mackey in terms of you know being on on the level even though he was a, a freshman being on the level of, of those other higher end uh, prospects and, and and bigger names, uh, that everybody knew at the time. Um, but, you know, having said that he was, he was a young player and, and, uh, and he's got to, uh, you know, bide his time and, 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 um, and earn what he's going to get. So, um, I think that his freshman year was, was very, very good. Um, Mackey is, uh, one of those, um, one of those prospects that you, you dream of having in terms of the character, um, Uh, being able to uh, be receptive to what you say, Um, you know, his work ethic is second to none. And those were all the, that was all the feedback that we were getting from the coaching staff on a daily basis. You know, he was, he was a guy that was, was in the gym, um, on the ice early off the ice late. Um, You know, he, they they wanted to get him more opportunity it was just hard you know like there's only one puck and there's a lot of excellent players on uh, on that team last year so um you know one of the comments was he he has one of the best if not best shots on the team the releases uh, you saw his goal there at the world juniors last year before he got injured um and it's true you know he, he brings a lot of of uh um, intangibles to the game. He's a, he's a you know he's not the the I guess his tallest guy, but he's got a really good frame on him. You know he works extremely hard off the ice. Um, he's strong on his skates. Um, he, he's not afraid. He, he engages physically, so he he's a a pretty total package uh, when you think about his overall game. Um, but I think um, I think you're 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 extremely accurate when you talk about you know take the next step and what's that next step to get to pro well that's being the leader being the man on the team having that pressure on you and be able to to fulfill those expectations because ultimately as a higher end prospect and a guy that we consider a player that can play sooner than later you know that's not going to get easier as he goes forward he's going to be a player that's going to carry a lot of weight hopefully for us one day um and and be a leader on our team and and that's something that uh, you need to learn through experience. Um, and, and that's what he's doing this year.
3: Greg, I was going to ask you about his uh, internal drive because uh, for me, a very talented player, smaller player, as you mentioned, but um, he, he's a natural line driver. He looks to create a lot for himself, uh, but now he's on a team that is absolutely stacked, right? He's basically an all-star team. It's, it's kind of funny. He goes from an all-star team in the USHL to an all-star team in college uh, and expects to be a leader on both and has been. Uh, but the the way that he line drives is, is unique to me in the sense that he's a smaller forward, but he looks to use a lot of his handling uh, from extension drag deek uh, drag deeks. Uh, what, my question for you was, do you feel that at the professional level, when he's going up against larger defensemen, like you, what you're looking at coming in now, Braden Schneiders, Caden Gould, it's more insiders, these long, heavy, big defensemen, do you feel the next step for him will be how he utilizes his hands and tight to, his, to himself while he's protecting the puck with his frame more often? Because I found that in my sample this season specifically, I, I actually did do some data tracking of his lateral drags, and he uses a ton of them. I was asking from from your perspective, when you look at that from a development perspective, what are your thoughts on that? And are you okay with seeing seeing the lateral drag as often as you do? Do you feel that's something that over time you're going to have to prune and 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 help him modify?
2: Um, well, I think it's it's unique to the player. You never want to, um, you know, limit a player's creativity or or his skill set. Um, I think. Um, you know, there, there might be a transition when he gets to pro when he's playing, when he's playing against these players you mentioned and, and, and even, you know, better players. Um, and as a young player, um, I think there's an adjustment period for everybody, whether you're, um, <clears throat> you know, a uh, first overall pick, uh, um, Jack Hughes, whoever it may be, you know, I think, you know, These guys are high, high, high high-end players, and it it, it still takes them a year or two or three to to really evolve into the player that everybody expected them to be. Um, So so Mackie has the ability, he has the hands, he has the agility to get into the inside. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the game is played north-south, and I think that that is... Uh, as a young player, um, obviously you, you go a step further in development. You, you, you go into the coaching staff's minds, and 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 you know they have different expectations of young players than maybe management. You know, and that's one thing I've learned being in this position is that you sit in a, in a coach's room. The outlook uh, is extremely different than what we're talking about in you know the uh, the office upstairs. Um, they're they're concerned about responsibility, reliability, there's different expectations for for young players in Paul Maurice's mind than there is in Bill Zito's mind, in my opinion, um, where he needs to be able to trust the player. So does that take some of his creativity away? You know, maybe at first, but you have, you have, to, you have to earn that trust as a young player, and then your game will expand if you do. Um, so with Mackie, I think he, he, he can be a player that... Um, that, that plays a straight line game that plays to the outside with speed. Um, but he does have the hands and the creativity to, to play on the inside too. I just think, um, it's something that has to be earned. And I think sometimes players lose confidence if they go too fast too soon, and then they don't earn the, the, the trust of the coaching staff. And, and then they start to get, um, confused and, and in their heads and and then they start to lose their identity a little bit, if you know what I mean. So um, that's a fine line with guys like Mackie and other skilled players. Um, uh, and, you know, it's it's got to be a, a well-rounded game, but a game where you don't want to take away the things that make him special, but you also are playing to win hockey games in the NHL. And I think you have to, Um, you know, it, it, and, and I think, you know, all coaches, obviously Paul Maurice is a a guy that's been around forever. He's an excellent coach. They understand that at this point in time, but, um, it's a process with these guys. And, and like I said, it, it is a fine line where the development has to be such where we, we, we let him do his thing. We let him excel where he needs to excel, but we also try to teach him that, you know, this is the best league in the world and you're playing against the best players. And sometimes you have to learn how to play the right way before you can really take off.
1: Gregory, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. Great insight in your prospects. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, good luck to the season and safe travels out there.
2: Okay. Thanks again, guys.
1: That's Gregory Campbell, VP of player personnel and development. Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back on hockey prospect radio right after these important messages.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, biggest hockey database, uh, players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're back to our player development segment with Pat Malloy. Pat, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it.
4: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: So this week's uh, topic for this segment is time saved is time to earn high-performance skating concepts to create time and space. I love the topic that you came up with. So uh, for our listeners, sort of explain some of those advantages. Can we talk about, you know, obviously this whole entire game is about creating space and taking away time and space. So talk about what those skating concepts mean when you're in the process of helping a player develop and be able to utilize that in a practical application at any level of hockey, whether it be junior college, the American League or the NHL.
4: Yeah. I I mean, skating, especially at the highest level is so much more than power skating so much more than, than maybe, you know, you'd traditionally think of a skating coach is doing it's, it's really recognizing ways to skate the game. You know, I, I think we know physiologically, you know, a player, a prospect gets to 18, 19, 20 years old. There's a lot of things that are set in terms of biomechanic movements that are very difficult to change specifically with um, the limited ability and time to be able to make those changes. So one of the ways to expedite creating, you know, higher performance skating is is to recognize the ways to skate the game and and to create time and space with the given skill set that skill set that they possess. So you know, one of the the things that you'll see in in looking at clients in the past, you, you know, that I've worked with, and I, I take out you know, a Tyler Toffoli is a great example of. There's certainly some mechanical things that we'd try to clean up in terms of, you know, our time spent working on skating, but at the end of the day, you can't completely overhaul someone's ability to move. But what you can do is leverage their strengths. And so some of these concepts really, you know, boil down to recognizing where can I enhance my ability to create time and space with the skill set that I possess. And so you know, when you look at a player shift video, when you look at some of the high occurrence events that players find themselves in from a skating perspective, then you can start to put concepts in place that create time, whether they're feints or whether they're, you know, deceptive movements that create actions and others that create just that small pocket of time so that a player with their given skill sets able to perform at the top of their ability.
3: I was going to ask you about exaggerated postural fix and how important they are for getting a, a, say, let's say, theoretically, a puck retriever sh- uh, juking a, a four checker using an exaggerated partial fake from, say, one side so that the he he, bait, he uh, baits him into the taking the wrong side. But you brought it up, so I'll, I'll change it back to, I wanted to ask you the significance for you in terms of when when, a, when somebody who's trying to escape pressure right, and they're trying to create time for themselves by using their edge work what's what's more significant to you is is it the ankle flexion when it comes to the biomechanical aspect of it or is it the is it the structure with the uh, the core integrity uh, because there's a lot of discussion about how important it is to sit back in a stride when you're coming out of a turn but in order to sit back out of a stride you need to be able to hold your core uh, statically and, and and engage it but then you also need to have I refer to, and I think you did, to three-point flexion with your hip, knee, and ankle. But how much of that, what, what's the ratio for you in terms of the core to the ankle in terms of the necessities that you need in both to be able to peel off the pressure?
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the posture is a huge part for me, but where I would go from the deceptive portion of this Um, Like activated posture, giving us access to, you know, to the power, which will ultimately give us the ability to generate thrust and force to go in a new direction is something I talk a ton about. But, you know, when we talk about this time, save time to earn concept um, for me, it, it really comes back to the, you know, the, a, the posture, but B the ability to transfer weight from one hip to the next weight transfer really becomes the secret sauce to get, players that are defending to move in a way they're trained not to move. And so oftentimes, um, you know, players, hockey can still be very old school in its mindset. And the idea that, you know, we've all heard that saying, money loves speed and and to create foot races all over the place is really at the detriment to a player, recognizing the power of shifting weight from one hip to the next um, ultimately, you know, creates reaction in a defender. That's what we're looking for is to get someone leaning in a direction they don't want to lean, but that's got to be initiated by us. And, and if we're not able to do that, that's a, a limiting factor in our skill set in terms of creating time. And you know, you mentioned it earlier, talking about those high consequence or those high frequency events. How many puck retrievals occur in a game of hockey, in a shift of hockey? And so, you know, we're never gifted the puck at the start of a face off and you get to keep it for the rest of the game. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, when we talk about the idea, and, and really, I've coined it this way, time saved is, is time earned. You know, my grandparents used to say a penny saved is a penny earned. and This concept really applies when it comes to, you know, are the things you're doing creating time or are they costing you time? And if you look at a player's shifts throughout the course of a game, you know, are they, are they constantly chasing it? Are they constantly trying to acquire time? Or are, are the things that they've done, you know, of the nature that they've created opportunity for them to have time and, and a lot of that comes from leveraging their strengths as a player, you know, and, and so you might not be the most fluid skater, and you might not be someone that can win an 80 foot foot race. So does that mean you can't be effective? Really, it, it starts to boil down to when you, you look at the occurrences that a player has on a shift by shift game by game basis. What can we leverage in the strengths of you as a player while chipping away at some of the weaknesses for sure, but what can we do to leverage the strengths to create them as an an even bigger advantage when it comes time to creating that little bit of time for yourself? And then ultimately, you know, maybe you're the off puck player. You're you're the non-possessing player. Can your skating become a determining factor to save time for yourself to be proactive about getting to an outlet, getting to a spot where you can receive a puck, in terms of puck acquisition routes, or can the things you do create time and space for the person that has the puck, and that really becomes the the next level mindset here when it comes to you know time and space creation.
1: Pat, it's interesting you said that because the first two players that jumped to my mind were ones that i watched on a regular basis in Vancouver are now going into the Hall of Fame, and Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and I think. Once they got pretty much past the age, like you got to about the age of 24, they're kind of third into their fourth year. That's where I saw what the concepts you're talking about in, in in terms of fleet of foot, they were not the fastest in terms of a puck race, but in every other aspect of the game, as the game started to slow down, that's where the, I saw from them, that weight transfer, um, some of the feigning and the deception that, you know, Brad brought up as well. I think they're a perfect example of what you talk about is time saved is time earned in how they skate the game.
4: 100%. I mean, it is a pretty antiquated mindset to think that you've just got to create situations where you can win a race because what happens when you're against someone faster and there's always going to be someone faster, but fast doesn't necessarily equate to effective. And, and, you know, if you can you know, combine and blend these skills and this mindset in terms of how to create time and, and with the mindset of time saved is time earned and have great takeaway speed, uh, mid-range speed, acceleration, all those things are great, which boil back to, you know, posture that Brad had talked about earlier flexion, you know, to create power, you know, full three joint um, activation of your drive leg to create speed, and, you know, low and direct return to create quickness, be a stride turnover, all of that stuff plays a role when you're building the foundation of a player. And often that's done at a much younger age, if done properly. But most importantly, then it becomes a tactical advantage to recognize application of skating skills, weight shift being one of the, you know, the preeminent things that, that any player can start to become aware of and apply to their game, whether they're a gifted skater or a manufactured skater, if you will. Um, important to recognize no two skaters are the same, um, you know, obviously talent level athleticism, there's a lot that goes into it, but in terms of application, uh, and recognizing concepts that will allow them to maximize their abilities, those things are universal. And it really just takes an interest, um, you know, by the player or by the development team in expediting some newer concepts to create better skaters. And, and that's really uh, what it boils down to
1: based on the age of the player that you know we're discussing is are these things that can be applied across from junior level to college all the way up even as if it's uh, an older pro these things can be become habit to the point where it is um autotelic in that respect
4: for sure and and time is is certainly the key i mean the the it's it's proper time put into creating a new pathway to performance is certainly something that's, you know, in a pro hockey grind, that's, that is definitely um, a challenge that we all face because, you know, I think in, in our industry, we still see, you know, absorbent amounts of games, limited practice time. Um, You know, one of the things that um, is important in terms of synergy within a development environment is creating situations where players can get the touches on things Uh, whether it be mental touches and or physical touches that they need to implement in their game that can allow them the most um, opportunity to grow. And so if that becomes recognizing situations, high frequency situations where players find themselves often and what can I do to create better outcomes for myself, you know, that pathway starts between the years and you know, a lot of times people will look at me kind of crazy where skating work starts off the ice. It doesn't have to necessarily be a power skating session for someone to make improvements. Um, retrievals for defensemen at the pro level. How important is it to acquire the puck and, and create a possession play going the other way? Well, there's an, you know, a classic example of when you start to look at strategies to help players um, create just that step more time that half second that split second that one second more time that could be the difference between a possession and a, and a non-possession outlet and what's that do to a player's effectiveness in a team environment what's that do to a player's career you know what does that do to his underlying numbers and the things that dictate their next contract well your ability to make possession outs is, is going to make you a more valuable player and so there's so much more than just you know Let's ride around on one edge and, and let's do some of this. It's really having the player understand the journey, leverage their strengths, understand their areas of development, and then put a plan in place that, that really allows them not only from the technical skill component, but from a tactical execution component and a habit-based um, approach, you know, to creating a new pathway for themselves and all with the understanding that the better you perform, the better it is for all the people, all the stakeholders that are involved in that player.
1: We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be right back and continue to talk about player development right after these messages. Prospect
0: News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back empowered by Instat hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about player development with Pat Malloy. Uh Pat, and this topic for the segment is creating adaptable players through awareness habits and dictation dictation of based skill set. So I like the fact of adaptable players through awareness habits, like situational awareness. So talk a little bit about how you help create more adaptable players with understanding that that's really a mental acuity that you have to end up then translating into a practical on ice
4: performance. Yeah. I I mean, video is a huge tool, but I I find a lot of times video is used in such a a, a disciplinary way. Is that a, a way to put it in that, You know, as a coach, if I sit down in a video session and say, You were here, you should have been here, you should have done this, you should have done that, there's really no guided discovery for a player. I'll start in situations, especially revolving around how do I create adaptability in a player by asking questions? What did you see? What did you feel? Where was the pressure coming from, in your opinion, in this situation? And from an adaptability standpoint, how much of their decision making was, Well, I, you know, I was doing this because I, you know, I needed to get the puck here because I knew that if I turned it over, that I wouldn't see the ice again. Or, you know, it was better for me just to shoot the puck than it was anything else because then I'm credited for a shot on net and you know, I stay out of the doghouse, if you will. From an adaptability standpoint, for me, it really starts with understanding the journey the player's going through, number one, and then number two, having them, you know, when you talk about the practical sense of things. You know, I'm a huge believer of having skill to solve problems in on ice settings, but that doesn't come from me or from anyone um, giving them the answers. It's all right. So if the problem is I need to possess this puck um, and I need to extend possession long enough to make a higher percentage, first play, second play, corresponding play, um, what, what problems do I have to solve? Well, the problems might be. Well, there's a threat to my possession. There's a defenseman bearing down on me, rolling me up the wall or, you know, various levels of, of, you know, coverage coming my way. What's the the play here? So really creating environments that are unpredictable for players and having them recognize, all right, you know, from a higher percentage standpoint, did I expose pucks? Did I move on touch? Did I create changes of angle? Did I lure people to the places that I can now recognize Here's a cue, I've got someone reaching that has chased me up the wall. That's a cue for me to move into the next set of things that I know can extend this. And I can now understand the ability that I've created a reaching defender. Now I'm gonna dictate the terms because their body weight is off. They've played their card. Now I'm in a situation where I can cut, roll, or make the appropriate play. So for me, you know, the adaptability component really comes down to, A, I've got a, a toolbox full of technical skills. How do I relate those to tactical settings and what are my cues to be able to dictate the, the situation as it sits?
3: In order to optimize the adaptive ability on the ice, I, I, I kind of split processing between adaptive and preset processing. One conversation we had, Pat, we were discussing how you prefer not seeing preset handling on the ice. And it, does it come back down to what we're discussing now is the reason why is because if a player is looking to do a preset moveset, they've basically limited their options and and then put themselves in positions where they're going to get trapped and that they can't get out. So is that why you focus so much on adaptive handling and making sure that they have a more fluid and dynamic
4: uh, handling skill set? 100%. I mean, one of the things that, that you find, specifically with younger players, If they can skate, they really want to just skate. If they've got incredible hands, they really want to air to let's just use hands. Those things in unit, you know, are isolated skills. They don't necessarily transfer to the next level in terms of effectiveness. What might've worked in junior is probably not going to work at the pro level. So recognizing if I have a strong base of hand skills, for instance, rather than that be the, the thing that I lead with, how can I blend skating the game appropriately? to create a scenario where I can allow the strength of my hands to become effective versus just an isolated skill that got me to this point. You know, how can I evolve that in terms of, can I adapt the way that maybe I use that skill um, based on, on the situations? What can I do to create the cue that I know works well for me in terms of leveraging my strength as hands um without it becoming a, a you know a detriment to the play because I err to the only strength that I feel that makes me confident or comfortable and that I possess and so you know adaptability comes from a recognizing pattern awareness I mean we, we've talked about this in past segments where um, we know the game and we know how it's coached and, and you know in, for instance offensive zone settings we recognize what the defending team is trying to do and we recognize how that impairs our ability to do freely what we want to do. So using that information and becoming adaptable at, can I create situations with my movement, with my preemptive movement versus reactive movements uh, to create a setting that allows me to succeed versus being completely reactive throughout a shift. But all the while knowing I have an adaptability that if it plays this way, I have this skill set to be able to counter and vice versa. Pat, I mean, when
1: you talk about that, the, the player that comes to mind is Mark stone about, cause I think he has really strong, like adaptive adaptive awareness and his habits are very much adaptable because he's not the fastest skater. He's an effective skater, but he has really, he has really good hands. And I think he's an example for younger players that are listening that that's how you sort of put that together. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting about solving the right problem. Like, what would have to be true for this problem to not exist in the first place. And I think that's, you know, part of the process of what you're trying to get through to the players.
4: I show clips and video of, of Mark stone to so many aspiring young pros, because he's a great example of not letting the things that you can't do get in the way of, of the things you can do. And, you know, I look at a player like that. If, if, If he were to think of and just buy into all the things he couldn't do, where would he be today? And and he's he's a great example. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great example of adaptability in that his situational awareness, which I find such an interesting topic because the situations players find themselves in are constant. You know, they have different colored jerseys as an opponent, but really the the things and the situations players find themselves in are Game by game, shift by shift every night. And so, you know, recognizing that, not being oblivious to how do I manipulate these situations um, is, is a key for me. And, and not letting the game play you, instead understanding the ways that you can play the game.
3: What about uh, contextual decision-making? Then let's let's flip the coin here and say Victor Hedman's at the line. He knows he's getting defended by Mark Stone. Out of nowhere, he knows that he has an opportunity to pinch more aggressively because if he does get caught, he knows he can recover because it's Mark Stone who's going up the out down the wing.
4: 100%. And, you know, what I, I would say to a Victor Hedman in that case is you're going to want to make sure you establish body position on Mark Stone's stick because what we know is, is he's got an elite-level stick. He might have the best stick in the world. Mm -hmm. um so you know yes create a foot race out of it by being preemptive in terms of that that movement but you know be aware that this guy's got a stick that can make up for what he may lack in first step quickness um so you know that idea of establishing body position cutting mark stone's hand off prior to him having that become a tool to strip you of possession um great examples you know great real-time real world examples for sure and
1: it in your I guess in your work, is adaptability, thats that situational awareness, one of the top things you're trying to help your players recognize is let's solve this problem because it will solve a lot of the problems that you will encounter in the future, regardless of what skill sets you have.
4: For sure. And it's, it's about creating environments where the athlete's got to solve the problem. So we can take a scenario that occurs night by night, game by game, shift by shift, and we can dissect you know, the, the logistic part of it. Of We know the defender's A outcome is this. We know that our A outcome is this in terms of being a possessing player. Then it becomes, how do I get ahead of this mentally? How do I get ahead of, what if this person plays me perfectly? What is it that I can do to create advantage for myself? And being adaptable to this person's a big, strong defender. They're going to get in and get heavy on me. There's one set of... You know options there. What do I do if this person's an elite level skater keeps air off my hips and just steers me to the lowest percentage area possible? So the ability to adapt to both of those situations becomes crucial because those two situations aren't played the same. And so maybe it becomes distribution and move to a space that allows me to to acquire the puck in a better spot to create movement in the defense to sh- change the shape of a defense. Um, you know maybe it becomes the situation is you know, I've got to be a little bit more proactive with my contact. I've got to initiate contact and those sorts of things. So it's about guiding them to the solution, not creating a situation where, you know, one plus two equals three.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show. Once again, we uh, love the insight on player development and we look forward to speaking to you next week.
4: Great guys. Thanks so much.
1: That's Pat Malloy, uh, player development and skills coach, skating coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after these short messages.
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis. On Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: And brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're now going to talk about some Ottawa Senators prospects with Sean Donovan, the Director of Player Development. Sean, thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, get into some of your prospects. I know this is the time of year where everybody's traveling around. Um, I'm on the road. Brad's going to be on the road soon. You were on the road. Um, we end up doing shows from like airports and from hotel rooms, <laughs> which I am currently. So that's the nature of the industry. And so I know you've been out on some trips, watching some players, but first off I want to ask you about Tyler Boucher as a player and his continued development. And what I found really fascinating when he was drafted is that, You know, we look at today's NHL and his style of play and his playing style is rare. Like there's not many really true power forwards anymore. So the value of those players in a draft ends up going up because they're just they're hard to find them. And then knowing that it takes a little bit while to get those guys to where you want them to be. Um, sometimes power forwards take a little bit longer to mold them into, you know, what they can can and can get away with at the NHL level. It's not the seventies and eighties anymore, right. Or even the early nineties. So thoughts on his continued development and um, how he's progressing so far at this stage.
5: Yeah. I mean, we're super excited about him. Uh, You know, everybody, you know, like, like you say, every trajectory is different for prospects and uh, for him. I mean, he's just putting the work in. He's had a lot of injuries uh, the last few years. So, he hasn't played a lot of hockey and so for us uh he's playing in the OHL for the Ottawa 67s and you know he's getting to play a lot he's getting put in lots of situations uh it's just a perfect situation for us we're close um to, to, to help him out and this summer it was great because he's such a hard-working kid that he came in and devoted a lot, large chunk of his summer to uh training and and uh you know and uh you know he, he you know he came in a bit and uh You know, worked with, with, uh, you know, some of the guys here, and uh, I think it helped out a lot. I mean, our our figure skater Shelly Kettles, who works on the guy's skating, um, you know, worked on his edges and just kind of cleaned up some of his skating. And I think you can see a big difference right now. Shelly does a great job, but with, um, you know, a guy like Boosh, who works super hard and is committed to it, he's put in the time. He worked at it, and you can see the difference in it, and he had a good start to the season. Obviously, he plays a pretty rugged style, which we love. And uh, he's suspended at the moment. He'll be <laughs> his next game will be. Against... <laughs> I, I don't think he should be suspended for what he did, but it was the injury was. Um, it wasn't great. The kid had a seizure on the ice. You never want to see that. But uh, I don't think he slew footed the kid. But anyways, uh, that's uh, here nor there. But he's going to be back next weekend, I think, against Hamilton. So be excited to get back and seeing him, uh, you know, on the ice and playing. And I know he's in a good situation. Dave Cameron, they do a good job. And you know, big power forward like him, he's working on the, you know, the details. He's big, he's strong. He goes in the net hard. He can really shoot the puck. He's got an unbelievable release. And it's just working on some of the defensive stuff. Dave Cameron's a perfect mentor for him to do that. He's a great coach who's big in the details. So I um, mean, they're happy with him, which is a great thing. So on our end, we just kind of uh, help him out tweak any little details we see. Him. You know, but the thing is, when you got a kid who's invested like he is and wants to be as good as, you know, he does, and, you know, he's got a goal for himself and he wants to be a player and he knows what he needs to do to be a player. And even this weekend, his dad came in before the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, uh, you know, where he's going to play. So Booch got to shoot on his dad here the last couple of days. So, (laughs) tweaking his shot.
3: Uh, Sean, you mentioned how he's developing his edges. Is, Is one of the reasons for that so that he can, uh, carry the puck a bit longer, possess the puck a bit longer when it comes to peeling off pressure. And is the other factor, we mentioned the prototype of him, you know, he's a a pretty traditional power forward and and, a very good linear skater, powerful skater. Uh, With the improvement in edge work, are you looking for a little more uh, lateral patterns, uh, skating patterns when it comes to his possession, when he hits the offensive zone so he has more options to him?
5: Yeah, I think for sure. I think it's helped out. I mean, you could just see possess the puck better than he did last season. And, it just be more dynamic. I mean, in the NHL today, uh, everybody sees speed, uh, you know, straightaway speed and D can kind of deal with it. But then when you can add some lateral movement to it, it's kind of hard to defend, especially when you're a big body like him. So it'll be something he's always working on and, and he does work at it. So, uh, you know, she'll, she's been in there working with him, uh, you know, this year already. So I think uh, Thursday he was, she was out there with him. So, He's working on it all time. He knows it helps him. He feels it. He's, you know, like lots of athletes are field-based. So he feels it works. And so, yeah, for sure, it's a big deal. Is like if you can get the lateral lateral ability and able to be dynamic and make moves and cut and use that shot, move your feet. I mean, it's it's such a big part of the game, obviously.
1: John, how much is he beginning to really understand how strong he really is? Because sometimes the big, strong kids don't recognize that. He doesn't have to plow through everybody, but if he can lean on guys and push them off and keep them off balance, that allows him to sort of lean into guys down low and then be able to pivot out and make some plays and create some time and space for himself and forces the other defensemen to converge on him. Cause if they don't control him down low, like you're in trouble. So we not only can he create some time and space for himself, but his line mates as well, because even at the NHL level, he's going to be a, a challenge for some defense defensemen to contain.
5: I think I agree. He's really growing in maturity and understanding. It's just games played. It just you got to play games, and he hasn't played a ton of hockey the last three years. So, you know, came to camp, he was in good shape. He's ready to go, and I think he noticed it in you know in an NHL environment that he can lean on guys and back guys off and be strong. Like he's actually stronger than some of the players in the NHL. So. it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just having the confidence to know, hey, this is an asset of mine. I can bully some people around the ice, and let's use it. And he's he's growing with confidence with it, so hopefully he keeps it through this suspension.
1: I want to ask you about Zach Ospachuk, and there's another big kid, man. He's 6'3", well over 200 pounds, playing for the Vancouver Giants, and, you know, he's uh, the captain again this year, which says a lot about when you're a captain in the, in the WHL. as an 18-year-old, now he's 19 in his second year, and, Um, really starting to, I think, establish himself as the man, not only in that team, but in the league, really like dominating in that respect of like people talk about the small skilled players and the games becoming more skilled, but intimidation still matters, Um, (laughs) particularly in the playoffs. It's a, it's big boy hockey and talk about how he's starting to transition that and recognize he can get away with and intimidate and push the envelope in a lot of respects and how that's going to translate uh, when he moves into the American Hockey League
5: I mean obviously he had a pretty couple exciting fights and that doesn't hurt uh, in the NHL uh, moving forward but um, it's his game of confidence last last season people were kind of worried he wasn't getting points the start of the year but watching him on our end and I know Jesse Winchester done a ton of work with him that we weren't worried now uh, there's no panic I mean people are always oh, not getting points this and that but in the end, he was playing the right way. He was getting chances. And now the puck's starting to go in. Obviously, he's putting up some big numbers this season. And he just, his games keeps growing and he gets, he's getting more and more confidence. And I mean, he, he's a complete player. He can play defense, he can play offense. You know, he'll always be working on pace. Uh, he's a big kid. And, you know, skating's a, you know, going to be always working on skating. But, you know, he's improved it a ton. Um, he's a quiet confidence, he's a leader. And the guys love him. He's pretty quiet around us, but you can see him around his teammates. He opens up quite a bit and he's you know, you can see why he's a captain. He talked to a lot of players who he's played with and some lots of them say he's the best captain they've ever had. So I know that he goes into the coach and kind of battles for them and he's got their back. So they, they love him as a captain. And it's pretty impressive when you got a kid like that at that age that uh, understands that part of the game. And I mean, he had a coming out party last year in the playoffs and he's carried it over the world juniors. He had a bit of an injury and he didn't he didn't say anything about it, a bit of a shoulder going into camp. I don't think he had the rookie term he would have wanted to, but he was hiding an injury, and then we found out the injury, worked on it, he's, he's up, he's ready to go again, now he's starting to have success. So that's uh, that's a tough thing with these uh, young guys. Sometimes they try to hide stuff, and then you start wondering why they're not performing, and you find out they have a bit of an injury, and you're like, just tell us. That's part of the deal here, <laughs> so we can help you get better and can have our staff work with you. But uh, that's part of the process of development.
3: Uh, Sean, I was going to ask you, you know, I didn't get to see him a ton, admittedly. He, he was a prospect that I got to relatively late when it came to his draft season. And so one of the things I want to ask you is you, in my viewings, my limited viewings, uh, he was a lot more dangerous north-south uh, a- a- in the transition game than he was within his cycle game. Uh, do you feel that that area has developed over uh, over the last year and a bit since you've drafted him? And where do you feel he is in terms of his net front presence?
5: Yeah, I mean that—that that was something last season where he had to improve, and he has, and he's gotten confidence in. Like you guys said, he's a big guy, and now he's starting to use his size. He's starting to know that he can bully people around, and he can take the pucks from the net. No, he's gonna stop him. He's one of the best I've seen at actually just naturally taking the puck to the net every chance he can. Usually, kids were, you know, you come on, take the puck to the net every chance he gets. He goes the net hard, so there's always scrambles, and you know, just just you know, can get assists by just driving the net. It's it's just an impressive part of his game, and. And I, I I love that about I mean I love that the World Juniors too that you know they, they put him on the, the PK and he did an unbelievable job. He can play center, he can play wing. He's so versatile. He's he's a really exciting prospect for us. So but like you say, down low for sure, you always want to work. He's a big boy. You gotta to work again to a little better leverage. you you know, sometimes you're going against a guy like Sidney Crosby, he's a little smaller than you, but he's got some pretty sick leverage to him. So it's just and just him having confidence to use those edges and tight turns and taking pucks in the net. I mean, he has no problem taking it there, but just it just helps your game overall, obviously, the more dynamic you can be.
1: Well, I'm glad you guys brought up uh, the point of his willingness to drive the net hard every time. And even though you want to have some versatility in your game and not always do that, the fact that he wants to do that every time forces defense to converge on him because they don't want some bulldozer crashing into their goaltender. But then what it does is it creates time and space for your linemates and opportunities. And he creates... Rebounds And like crazy scrambles around the net. And when you get into the playoffs, and I'm glad you guys brought up the point about his playoff production, people were kind of on him in the regular season. But when it mattered most, he produced in the playoffs when things were tough, and he had to be he had to be the leader. So for me, I'm really intrigued to what he's going to do in this year's playoffs and and potentially the World Juniors. But let's take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back, we'll continue to talk about the Sens prospects right after these messages.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back in powered by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're continuing to talk about the Ottawa Center's prospects with Sean Donovan, the director of player development. And, you know, we talked about a lot of like power forward, greasy players in the, in the previous segment. And although Ridley Gregg is not the biggest guy, he may be one of the toughest dogs in the fight. And, I call him a piece of work and I mean that in the most complimentary way is that he's just a greasy little, like, like Boston Terrier. And that's the kind of player I would want in my organization going into the playoffs because knowing that he's going to give you everything you need and he's going to drive the opposition bananas, but he's still productive in a lot of different ways. Like I think he's beginning to really understand how far he can push it, but it doesn't take away from his own personal gain um, which I think that's always the balancing act for players like that and um I'm just looking really forward to seeing him continue to develop and get into the NHL playoffs because I think he's just going to be a fun player to watch.
5: I mean uh, he's hard not to like especially when you get to see him day in and day out and he came here this summer and he worked on his game and committed himself and Obviously with his dad and his, you know, his, his bloodlines, he's a hard worker, you know, in the gym, his dad still I think does two hours a day and really good shape. And I mean, that part he takes care of. And the biggest thing is just for him is just understanding some dangerous situations because he is fearless. And uh, you just seen in the world juniors, he got hurt a bit. he kind of went into that area fifty-fifty, 50, 50 kind of hitting type area. And he did not even care about the other player coming to hit him. And he sustained a little bit of an injury. So I uh, just, helping him along with that because he is fearless. And most of the time you're trying to 90% of the prospects you're trying to tell, come on, play harder, go to hard areas, you know, you know, be mean. Uh, and for him, it's natural. You're almost saying the other way where it's like, you know, in some situations you don't have to go ahead first into that, but you got to respect it because the other guy's fallen. Uh, he missed a bit of camp because of what happened at the world juniors, but then at the later part of camp, he came in, did his thing, did a good job and pressed of course, um and then now he's in the minors and you know he he, uh, had a bit of an injury started that that but now he's back and he's starting to get his feet under him he's starting to be the best player on the ice most nights um and he's doing his thing he's pecan he's power. he can kind of do everything he's uh you know obviously he's a centerman and he's physical and he can just kind of you know kind of grind your way into the he's like a Parker Kelly but more you know more skill where Parker kind of gets under the guy's skin everybody's chasing him around but he's a high-end kid that can do that and it's pretty exciting to think about him you know in the NHL playing and I played with a player Mike Pekka and he was a, right. not a big sized guy but he would crush guys and he played center and you know he just reminds me of Mike Pekka a little bit to be honest.
3: Uh, yeah, the, the Swiss Army knife uh, element, uh, I definitely could see some peck in them for sure, Sean. Uh, my question for you about Ridley, you know, we talk about the vinegar and the, and the mental makeup of him because it's rare. But one thing I was going to ask you is, uh, where are you most impressed with his development in terms of his skill set, in terms of his playmaking, handling, shooting? What area for you jumps out as, as the biggest in terms of the developmental jump?
5: The, the thing is, when you look at him, there's not one thing that, you know, you're like, he really needs to work on that part of his game. It's kind of like everything kind of comes together. He's just getting older, more mature, he's stronger. Our big thing was asking him to be bigger and stronger. He comes in, he looks like a man now. He takes his shirt off, you know, he's, he's ripped, he's, you know, he's stronger. So he, he's worked at that part of it. Um, and, and he's got like a, you know, like a hockey, good, strong hockey player's body. He was like a little bit skinnier when he first came to us. And now he's put in the work and you could just tell some guys pretend like they do, but you know, once you see them pushing around, I I think the biggest thing for us was obviously the off ice thing was just getting stronger and he's going to keep getting stronger. There's still room there on that frame, but uh, that was, that was probably the biggest jump in his game to help him get to where he is now is just getting stronger and filling out more and just, you know, just for the way he plays, he has to. (laughs) Well,
1: looking at how he plays, but then, You know, from your perspective, when you get you and and Brad and some other people in player development get to talk to him, what sort of struck me is how quickly he's learned that ability to learn and adapt. Some guys, it takes way more repetitions to sort of figure out and it sort of adapted to the game so that it's a point where they don't think about it anymore. Talk a little bit about Ridley's ability to learn and then quickly adapt his game and just utilize it right away. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes him such an interesting Swiss army knife to be able to play in the middle on the wall, pK power play, then some variety of different situations that the to- the coach can potentially trust him in because the coach will say something and then he goes and does it exactly the way the coach wanted him to do it.
5: Uh, I mean, I think it's it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, everywhere he goes, he's a coach's favorite player. I mean, you know, so, he, he comes here in Belleville uh, a few years ago when the COVID was was happening. And, and, you know, at the end of his season, and and Troy Mann loved him. Wanted him in every situation. Didn't want him to go back to junior the next season. Then he goes to World Juniors, and Dave Cameron loves him. Puts him in all different situations. Plays tons of minutes. He, he And then he comes here, and the NHL guys, I mean, they're looking for size a lot of times. And you got DJ Smith, and you see Ridley come walking through the door, and you kind of, you just see the maybe the way he looks at him, like, wow, this is going to be a long time before this kid ever plays. But then through camp, then it's like, wow, this kid's not that far away. And it's just, he just has a real ability. I mean, we, uh, he's a kid you can lean on. He's a Western boy. He's, you know, tough Canadian kid where, you know, um, you know, in, in two camps ago, I don't think he had a great camp. He kind of came in and he wasn't being really great. He's just feeling it out. And of course, he's a young guy and we kind of challenged him. Troy Mann and me and Jesse, and the next game was the exhibition against um, the Winnipeg Jets, and he scores a goal of the year, a Sports Center highlight goal, and he cross checks Dupont, and gets a two game suspension. So um, you can just push his buttons, and he'll he'll uh, you know he'll respond very quickly, and I'm sure coaches love that about him.
1: I want to ask you about uh, Robbie Urventi. and he's like there's a theme of some really big guys, and then the little bulldog, of course, but Robbie's a big guy too. And one of the things i always appreciate about the Finns is it's almost like you could plot Finland right in the middle of Western Canada. Like the mentality is very much the same as that Sisu kind of like grit character about them and talk about, you know, him coming over and adapting to the American hockey league. And then this year, I, even though it's a small sample size of games, I started to see like him taking Additional steps, just getting consistently better in a bunch of little areas.
5: I mean, the the talent is there, it's oozing out. I mean, you see at the World Juniors when he's given a chance on the half wall, he can absolutely shoot a play. He's a weapon, and he is in Belleville too when he's playing. He's hurt right now, but he 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 has a weapon of a shot. And then you you don't realize how big he is, you know, because you think of fins usually, I mean there's some bigger boys coming out of there now, but I don't know. I just think of the when I played more of the Ville Peltonins and the little guys who worked hard and now all of a sudden you got this this big kid. He's bigger than you think. He's strong. And, I mean, the biggest thing is just consistency. It's just in the American League's great. He's got Troy Mann there who's working with him. It's just, you know, getting consistent every day of how do I help the team win away from the puck? And with the puck, he can do lots of things. And on the power play, he can actually help your team win. But it's, you know, if you want if he's going to make the next level, it's, you know, when he's at battle, we've got lots of young guys up top. So you're always challenging and being, okay, so where do you fit into this? And how are you going to get ice time from DJ Smith? Then how are you going to crack that lineup? And it's it's all stuff away from the pockets. You know, just being harder and and he has he has responded. And it's just you know you know tracking better, finishing checks a little more. You know, just being harder on pucks, win those stick battles, 50-50 stick battles in the corners, and and just helping your team. You know, when you're on the ice, uh, just being an asset. You know, sometimes when you're not touching the puck.
3: Sean, you mentioned the fact that he needs to help a little more off the puck so he can round out his game. In his draft season, the huge takeaway was first-round talent, but then second, third, fourth-round mentality away from the puck in terms of his pacing, in terms of his energy efficiency, and in terms of staying above the puck. We felt he got lost in transition a lot. And, uh, you know, at that time, he was a bit more sloppy mechanically, I'm sure, with the skating. The skating has always been pretty impressive, but now it's definitely come around uh do do you feel that you've seen an increase in terms of his urgency and the consistency you mentioned mentioned when it comes to having that urgency to match match the play and the the urgency to backtrack for instance as an example uh, uh correctly
5: i i think he has but i think there's still you know there's still work to be done uh with that talent i mean if he was where he was at where we would want him i think he'd be knocking at the door right now and be the you know first call up and just dj drooling to get him into the lineup but Right now, he's just – I mean, he's got an injury, so that's not fair. But he's got, whatever, five-eighths of a season left, a ton of hockey left. So it's kind of uh, – you know, these are big – this is a big, you know, kind of three-quarters of a season left for him to, to kind of just, just come back with the right mentality and just do those right things. I mean, everybody's got stuff to work on. But like you say, I mean, that's one of the things he needs to work on. And he's going to have to bring it and bring the intensity and help Belbo win games. And you help Belbo win games, then the NHL coaches gonna want you on his team so i mean that's uh that'll be a big test for him for sure coming coming up how much do you
1: like working with the fins because i always find them as like the easiest people to work with because they're it's just it's a there's a seems to be a bu- built-in work ethic in that culture we're just we're gonna come to work and just like and they're pretty like low maintenance in terms of like not causing any trouble for the most part
5: oh no they're good yeah they're good people and <laughs> you know, obviously uh uh you know i was born in Northern Ontario. So there's lots of, you know, uh, fins up there. So, and they're, 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 they're pretty consistently the same people, you know, they're easy to deal with. And it's like you say, like Westerners, where, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have much trouble with an awesome Chuck or really Greg or, you know, or Reinhardt that we have down I mean, these guys, Castleich. I know he's from Arizona, but I think of him as a Western boy, but it's just, those guys are always fun. Parker, Kelly, they're always fun and the fins are a lot like them. And, um, I, I don't know. We can never have too many fins.
1: Uh, Sean, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it. It's always a fun segment and talking about your prospects and stay safe and and we'll see you at the rink. Thanks. That's Sean Donovan, the, the director of player personnel and development for the Ottawa Senators. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad
1: Allen. We are back and powered by Power Player Hockey Player Development Software at thePowerPlayer.com. It's our regular se- segment with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach. Dr. Willis, thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate it.
6: Nope, glad to be here.
1: As we uh, continue through your book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. We're just finishing up chapter four, uh, which the title is purpose. The last topic is taking action. And you know, from our previous segments that, you know, Brad and I, and you were talking about, um, taking action. And I think everybody like they understand the action part of it. However, like some of the things that, you know, interest me and I'm always concerned about is like, you know, there's being productive and there's just like doing stuff, um, you talk a little yeah, bit about yeah, like you know yeah. action versus production, right? And obviously, you want to take action, but it has to be productive in terms of like you know de- we talk about you know in player development or in scouting dedicated practice and and focused practice and uh, you know when you're doing your work, you get hyper focused and you, you you accomplish a tremendous amount of of work in a short period of time because you're you know you're either in some sort of flow state um, or you know in the zone as some other people call it. Um, You know, give us a little background when you have these discussions with your, you know, with your hockey players and your clients about, you know, purpose and then taking action.
6: I think um, the emphasis that I try to make with my guys is that sort of going through the whole goal setting process to me is super important, right? You got to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you're on the right path? How do you know if you're going to get there, right? But the problem with it is that because it feels like work, right, setting these goals, Deciding what my my tasks and my mission is going to be. It feels like work. And so when you're done doing all of that, you feel like you're done. But you haven't started anything, right? All you've done is created a plan. And that's where I lose guys. They feel like, oh, no, I did that. Yeah, no, I have goals. No, I did that but then it comes up, well, what are you, what are you working on right now? What, what is that task that you're, you know, and Oh no. Well, yeah. So that, that we're, I'm, I'm going to start on that. I'm going to start working on that. And so there's this weird disconnect. I always use the example of, you know, sometimes when you buy a book, right, you buy a book on a topic that you love. And now I have this book and I can read this book anytime I want. So it goes on the shelf and you know, a year later, you've never read the book. Why? Well, because I have the book. I can read the book. So I'll just read it when I read it. But that's not going to work. If you want to move up in this game, if you want to be the best, if you want to outshine others, then you better be doing the work. And that's why I think taking action is so, so important. And I always like to sort of point to guys like, you know, Connor McDavid and his regimen coming home from school, you know, he would set up cones in his driveway and he would do all these drills every single day, you know, regardless, he, he, he could be sick and he would do it. He, it could be raining. He would do it. It didn't matter. He was going to do that. And his day wasn't over until he did that. And that was just one of his goals. And now, you know, he's special in, in what he's been able to accomplish. And so you're going to say, well, is that why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but it sure can't hurt. And my whole point is that if you're going to set goals, that's great. I'm really proud of you, but you better get to work and you better know what I should be working on right now so I can move closer to those goals.
7: Kevin, just to, to speak to goal drilling, do you feel that um, there's there's an aspect to it where if you do too much of it, then it's the law of diminishing returns where you got you got to do it correctly and you got to do it in a way where uh, you don't over- um, Overuse your resources in terms of just doing doing drills that uh, give you the muscle memory to to create and execute the skill. You feel that there is there is an yeah. aspect of that.
6: Yeah. Well, I, I think creativity is my favorite. Now, I, I got to say, you know, years ago, coaches were not really fans of of guys being pre- creative in practice. Right? You do the drill like I wrote it out, and I, that's it. And in the games, you do what I want you to do, and that's it. But now I think the game is is so fast and it's so skilled that this creativity, I think, is really important. And so to get to your point about, you know, sort of just drilling these these skills into the ground. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, if you're not able to sort of look at the reason that you're doing the drill, right? So I'm I'm going in the corner, I'm battling, I'm turning, I'm hitting the guy coming into the slot, whatever. Okay, so... I can do that. I can do it over and over and over again, but you and I both know that when it comes to hockey, that everybody else has a different agenda. And so that, that battle, that guy coming down the slot, the defender, um, that's not exactly the way it was in the, in the, uh, in the drill. So I have better be able to understand the point of that um, as well, because that gives me time on my own to work on those skills and to get better. Because at the end of the day, it's not about telling kids how to practice, it's telling kids how to play, right? So that you can think and you can execute. Um, and the coaches can't do that for these guys on the ice.
1: We're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brought to you by the Power Player Hockey Player Development Software at thePowerPlayer.com. We're chatting with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind and Mind, as we go through chapter four, which is titled Purpose. And the topic in this segment is taking action. Dr. Willis, one of the things about in terms of like taking action and and you had mentioned it and Brad had mentioned it too as well is like, how do you discuss with your clients about the mental, emotional fatigue once you start taking action and you understand that, you know, there's a certain level of repetitiveness that has to happen, but you should, you know, induce some level of creativity to keep that um, fresh and new and interesting and to fire, on, fire off a bunch of different neurons. And um, that's always, you know, critical for, for, you know, mental growth. But from that emotional standpoint of just like, you're feeling like you're burning out, you're taking action, but you had that discussion, okay? You are going to take action, but here are some of the steps that you're going to have to take in terms of like to ensure that you maintain a level of, you know, mental, emotional stability, and then have that active recovery that is necessary so that you can feel rejuvenated and go right back into it again.
6: Yeah. Well, that's now you're talking about that recovery piece and oh my gosh, you know, it's it's never too early to learn that. But kids, they have so much energy that they would go and go and go and go. And I don't worry so much about them sort of losing that passion. But as you start moving up the ranks, you're getting into these elite leagues. You're 14, 15, 16 years old, playing at a high level. Every single player on the ice is good. You're stressed out because you can't afford to make a mistake. You can't afford to to do anything to, you know, sort of look bad in the coach's eyes. And so now all of a sudden that mental pressure is, is ramped up really, really high. And we forget. That the mental pressure is a energy that's burning in, you know, the, the bodies of these young athletes. And so just like they're skating and passing and shooting and exerting all of this physical energy, that mental energy that they're burning, um, is, is extremely high and it can take away from their overall fitness. Right. And you see it all the time as the pressure goes up from a, a, a mental standpoint, the the fatigue also goes up and it's, it's one of the reasons why you see, you know, some teams sort of, you know, fading out later in the games, not so much because they're not physically fit, but because they aren't mentally fit.
7: Kevin, do you feel that one of the best ways to reduce burnout rate is to, is I, I hate to use the cliche but is to remind yourself that you, you need to go out there and have fun. I know it's for professional players. It's, it's a very fine balance between results, uh, performance results and then just having a good time time on the ice but do you feel that it's it there the ability to have fun allows a drawback uh mechanism within the mind so you can start looking at the bubble again and say okay hang on i'm i'm putting way too much pressure on myself i'm collapsing under my own pressure
6: yeah yeah and i think fun is so important i i love the word fun but sometimes you know i think coaches or even really driven teammates sort of take that as a turnoff we're not here to have fun we're here to win right we're here to to win the championship or to get better or whatever and so I, I i'm careful not to use fun but i think passion you you can be intense with passion right you can you can be willing to win ugly with passion and so i love that word passion is is that if you aren't you know if you wouldn't do if if this is something that you wouldn't do if everybody left the arena there's nobody around nobody watching you then I wonder how much you really, really love this. Right. If, if, if on the other hand, you know, you do this regardless, if anybody said anything nice about you, if any any compliments came your way, but you would still be doing this, then I know that you are really, really passionate about it. And so when you're passionate, you don't, I don't worry about burnout. I don't because it's, it's a, it's a managed flame. But if you're doing it because mom or dad or your coach or your uncle, Bob, or, or whatever thinks, oh my gosh, you're really, really good. You've been good since you were nine and now you're 14 and man, you're so good. You're so good. But the kid's sitting there going, I know, but this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Houston, we got a problem.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these messages.
8: Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckepack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E and Pack.com.
9: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Stats video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas and they need to know how they're doing. Power player brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings. And comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
8: Outside
10: Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off-ice development programs for hockey players.
0: Prospect
1: News and Analysis.
0: This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back at powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at the PowerPlayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. We're now into Chapter 5, Practice. Uh, the subtopic we're speaking about in this segment is the science of skill Uh, Dr. Willis, could you break down a little bit of what that specifically means uh, from your perspective in the mental game and when you're speaking with uh, hockey players and your clients about that aspect?
6: So I think this idea of of deliberate practice, uh, purposeful practice is really gaining a lot of traction. And years ago, nobody was talking about it. They thought you worked hard, you practice, it's muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. But what does that really mean? And so the idea behind practice, deliberate practice, and the science of skill is this idea that the more you practice, the more that these different neurons are firing in your brain, right? And the more they fire, the the stronger they get. So if they fire and fire and fire because of these different movements, because of this different sort of mental approach, then they, they get stronger. And there's this, you know, I don't get too sciencey, but... Not only do they get stronger, but the insulation around those neurons increases, which allows them to be fast. I mean, like super fast, right? So if you know anything about cabling for, you know, electricity or anything like that, it's it's all about the the the, the diameter of the wire and the diameter of the insulation. And it's that that allows this conductivity to be, you know, faster or slower, depending on that. And so we have this ability to, when we work on something, when we practice something over and over and over again, we have the ability to increase the diameter of the wire, as well as wrapping that wire in insulation. So we get a bigger pipe and we get a faster pipe And every single one of these, and we have a hundred billion connections, you know, in our brain and a hundred million wires in our brain, all coming together. And every single time we practice something, we are creating a groove, right? We heard it wired, right? We're wiring our brain for specific skills. And so the idea behind it is not just something I remember to do. I learned how to do it. Now I remember it. No, you have physically changed your body to execute that skill automatically right and the more you do it the better you get and that's why pros are pros
7: uh kevin just to your point uh, for our listeners um i I do have a psych background i found i find this topic exceptionally interesting because uh the definition i would use to describe what we're talking about here is neuroplasticity uh one thing that's interesting about neuroplasticity is that it's more difficult uh for our brain to rewire as we age so when you hit approximately that age of 25, 26, that is when your brain no longer is as plastic as it is when you're a juvenile. So my question for you, Kevin, is when you hit that 25 and 26-year age of development, do you feel that the, the the way that you need to structure your practices need to be reoriented just based off the fact that you are not as plastic, that your brain is more rigid, that there isn't as much neuroplasticity occurring?
6: Is, there's not as much, and I think it's really not so much that you're not... Um, able to wire it, but it's a it's it's not a, as effective as when you were younger. And the thing about when you're younger is that you've got so many neurons, right? When you're born, you've got a gazillion. Little babies, they have so many more neurons than we do as adults. It's not even funny. But what happens is, as your as this baby is growing up and it's learning to do things and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of this stuff is being pruned away. It's just it wasn't needed, right? Um, you ever hear the thing, well, it's easier to learn a, a foreign language as a kid than it is as an adult? Well, that's one of the reasons. they've got more neurons. and so that once that starts to get sort of pruned away, then you're left with what you're left and and now you, you use what you've got. The other thing is that as you get older, there are other parts of your brain that are coming online, you know, in the early going, these were in sort of in development. Like if you were remodeling a house, that was the garage that wasn't finished yet, but as you get older and older, it's, it's, it's done. And, you know, you look at some of these, when we talk about the maturity of a player when they're 18 versus when they're 25, well, that's the difference between that part of the house not being ready yet. And now it's ready. Uh, and so you add that into it, you add in this idea of plasticity, you know, and there's more to, to work with when they're younger than when they're older. I think it's, um, it's something to consider, but I don't want anybody to think that, you know, that as they get older, that they aren't able to change. That's one of the most amazing things about all of this is um, that we, we we have the ability to rewire our brain until the day we die, right? We, this is something that can happen forever. And it's just a matter of deciding what it is that you wanna wire it to do. And, and this is important, what do you want it to do? Because if you're not deliberately wiring it the way you want, then guess what? It's possibly getting wired to somebody else's uh, needs, to somebody else's uh, uh, agenda. So uh, this is important. This is why we, you've gotta watch how these kids are being developed.
1: Kevin, that's, you know, both of you guys brought up like really interesting points. And it was about, you know, thinking about the frontal lobe development and that you neuroplasticity know, and, you know, frontal lobe is higher re- reasoning and decision making and, you know, having discussions with like player development staff where they, they go, oh, I can't believe, the, you know, there's these players are so inconsistent. And they're all like, you know, 17, 18, 19 years of age, 20 years of age. That's, well, honestly, they should be consistent. They're consistently inconsistent. Um, You know, until that, all that wiring starts to come together and the frontal lobe continues to develop. And do you find uh, there's a bit of a switch in some of your clients once they hit a certain age where you can like literally see it before your eyes that, you know, things are starting to come together?
6: Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing, you know, that 18, 19, 20 age, you know, you're starting to see it, but they're still coming out of sort of that youth and then at 21 22 23 that's when you start to see the maturity that you're like oh my god who are you where did you come from you know you really really are starting to to put some stuff together and that's when you know that that you know the lights are on uh, That the that, that that extra room is completely done being remodeled it is full on and now this is why you see some of these players that are just exceptional at that you know 21 22 23 That's one of the reasons why people love, you know, D1, because it gives the kids a little more time to mature and to sort of let that, that part of their brain come online. But you're exactly right. And both of you guys know how difficult it is to sort of understand what am I looking at when they're 14, 15, 16 versus what can they become when, you know, everything is, is, is working the way it should.
1: Well, I mean, once, you know, again, it's, um, you know, If you were speaking to an NHL team, how much would you emphasize in terms of the development of, you know, that part of like, you know, the mental development of a player and saying, hey, like based on science, based on, you know, my, you know, the, you know, the expertise uh, that you have that. You have to give these kids time. Like the ones that make it early are outliers, and the vast majority, they just need this time. Otherwise, like they're less likely to come out the way that both the player and the organization wants.
6: Yeah, well, and a lot of times, I'll be honest, though, it's because they're outliers with their physical skill set. They're, they're still dealing with the, the same brain maturity as everybody else, it's because their skills are so high. Uh, they can mask it a little bit more. The thing I love so much about watching players develop is we got to get them around pros, people that have been doing this, people that know sort of how to handle all of these new situations. And so, modeling, I like to get these guys right when they're at those age groups to get around people that understand how this works, uh, because now you're actually training that that you know prefrontal cortex with with true experience and true skill instead of maybe just hoping that they figure it out on their own so
1: yeah well we want to thank you very much for coming on our show again we always appreciate it and to all our guests basil McCray from columbus blue jackets mark Yates from instat pat malloy for our player development profile darren York, citizen gm at the carolina hurricanes of course dr kevin willis i'm shane malloy for brad allen and we will see you at the rink
8: did you know you can open Upper Deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck EPAC and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckepack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E and Pack.com.
9: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat. Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
10: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.